Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Support independent Mi'kmaq media. Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. Or if you prefer, you can send us an email transfer at mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. Wanted one regional chief for Newfoundland and Nova Scotia. The posting is out, deadline to apply February 26th. As promised, the chief's secretariat is running a more transparent and business-like process than in the past. But process aside, will it take old-fashioned lobbying of the 15 chiefs to actually snag the job? Largely unique across the country, the regional chief for Newfoundland and Nova Scotia serves one First Nation only. All 15 First Nations are Mi'kmaq. What kind of person do we need for the job, and what challenges will they face? Who better to comment than Cheryl Maloney? It was her complaints that ultimately led to the ouster of the former regional chief, Morley Gugu. But more than that, she knows the politics and the players from her role in the Tripartite Forum, the partnership between Nova Scotia, Mi'kmaq, the province, and the federal government. I spoke with her about the job, the challenges, and whether she'll be a candidate. What is the job of the regional chief in real terms? Well, you know, that's changed over time, and I I think the previous regional chiefs kind of brought their own um, flavor to the game. And so there's a lot of that... um, that that is determined by the type of person that you're going to put in there and what skills, qualifications, priorities um, they have themselves mm-hmm. because they have to to represent the chiefs. They have to keep an eye on what's going on politically within the national, international, and how that affects their region. So it's, it's really important um, what they bring to the table and what they want to work on because it's, it's a wide... Um, broad mandate, and this process here is just narrowing down um, the types of qualifications and some of the activities that they want, the chiefs um, want to see in that role. And that's the first time that they have done that. I know they've spent considerable time um, talking about this, discussing it, meeting on it, um, developing, one, not just the requirements in a posting, but you know, the work before that to figure out what they want and what they need from a regional chief. You refer to the regional chief as working for the chiefs. I wonder if that's uh, one of the shortcomings about the position because they it'll still be uh, a sort of uh, a chiefs-heavy situation, I guess, where 15 bands won't have a lot of input and um, the regional chief is answering uh, to the chiefs uh, their uh, his or her boss. Well, you know, it's not just about the regional chief or the Assembly of First Nations or the Indian Act chiefs. There's there's a political uh, legal mandate that the Assembly of First Nations is is um, advocating on behalf of First Nation chiefs under the Indian Act on reserve. But those very chiefs 
that were doing the political work on reserve were the same chiefs that, you know, that have been marching from the 70s fighting the white paper policy uh, in 69. All these same chiefs were fighting for the broader dignities and rights of indigenous peoples. So they took on a role there, um, you know, promoting nations and rights and people, but they're still stuck in their mandates of being under the Indian Act. So you can't, um, you know, say, oh, they're only Indian Act chiefs. They are the leadership that we have that promoted it to get us to a place now in, in our political society that rights are being recognized, rights are being exercised, and rights are also trying to be eliminated, trying to get certainty through, you know, agreements with the federal provincial governments. We're in a, um, a very, very unique time in not just decolonizing the role of Mi'kmaq, but also we're still within colonizing, you know, within laws and, and strategies and society. We're still, you know, under the wrath of, of, colonization and then now we have to sort out who's going to be the leaders who's going to be the ones that can speak on rights and i think that the safe thing for nations to do in indian act chiefs and regional chiefs and and rights holders is to to start exploring what kind of relationship we want to have and i often told my community i'm from the svega negative first nation i tell my community and my chief and council and my colleagues, that when some things come across our desk, then we should just put them through a little uh, a, a test, a machine in our heads, and say, is this within the mandate of um, the Indian Act and on reserve? And if it is, it's full within our meaning um, of chiefs and councils, full within our powers to be able to act on this this matrimonial property law on reserve. That's a really good example of being very specific to on reserve issues. But if something comes across that's going to impact food sources and water security of the Mi'kmaq Nation for the food source for time immemorial, right, or, or, you know, species are at risk of extinction, you know, those serious things that affect rights and nationhood, then the chiefs and councils need to develop a process where they can say, this is a duty, federal duty and provincial duty and a Mi'kmaq duty, uh, Indian Act chief duty to make sure the people are informed and have a say on this. And so there's none of those processes there. We, as the Mi'kmaq people, have to sort that out now. So we can't really just blame the AFN or the Indian Act chiefs or the people don't know what's going on, the people don't have a say. Um, one, check, you know, is this a rights-based issue or is it very narrow within the Indian Act? who should be involved, and start developing processes so that we can include the people. So, you know, the AFN Regional Chief isn't a nation-based um, hereditary chief. It's an instrument under the Indian Act or, or benefit chiefs under the Indian Act. So we just have to, you know, we're throwing all these problems out into our political world and making all kinds of demands that we all have a say. Um, but we're in a very unique time in history of Mi'kmaq people, Mi'kmaq nation, and I'm not saying reconciliation because we're, we're still being colonized. We're still suffering the wrath of it. So in, until we, 
you know, can stop some of that, then, you know, real reconciliation can happen. But we're we're still on, you know, we're receiving the onslaught of uh, foreign government's policies and laws and funding and all those things. Let me ask you a follow-up question from that, because as you say, we have uh, sort of one foot in colonization and one foot, I guess, kind of out. Um, but in Nova Scotia, uh, specifically, you have two issues right now, at least two issues that uh, I think of. Uh, the... Um, attempts to put some structure on the right to earn a moderate livelihood from the fishery and mm-hmm. uh, and also the made in Nova Scotia treaty process which has been going on for some time and some bands have departed from that now so it's uh, mm-hmm. i guess there's some uncertainty about that um i think it's beyond the mandate of the regional chief to do those issues it'd be really good for a regional chief to help facilitate conversations and and look at models, their national, international models, what's working, what's not working, bring those things to the table to the chiefs. Let them, you know, know that these are the issues that we're being challenged with. This isn't KMK versus, you know, rights holders or fisher people or or anything. Uh, you know, KMK suffered under various federal governments not um, not being fully there to implement rights. They're more, the federal and provincial governments seem more interested in how can we bring certainty to them and certainty to those governments, which they require is extinction to our rights. So, you know, it's um, it's a tough position that they're in, but all of us as a nation, I can't say it enough, and I, I, I know it's it, it seems that this is just impossible, but we have so many young academics now that are able to look at these issues and problems and tackle them and learn and think about them and then come back into the communities and in our government structures and implement them. We're at a stage where we really, really, really need to rely on those seven-generation youth that are that are educated or become educated and um, come up with the solution. So it's it's not going to be an easy political um time for us we're we're in in growing pains definitely growing pains um and it's unique how many how many other nations have hundreds of years of colonial powers imposed on them and are trying to to rise up and build up that's where we are Mm. you know and so you look at it in, in hundreds of years of where we are I suppose the regional chief for Nova Scotia Newfoundland is a bit unique in the sense that it is that regional chief is dealing with the the Mi'kmaq nation because all thir- all fifteen bands are Mi'kmaq bands. I'm not sure that there's any other regional chief that has that uh, situation. Maybe uh, West. I'm not sure. You know, I guess that's um, maybe a positive thing. But on uh, there are. I suppose three sort of constituencies. There's mainland Nova Scotia, Cape Breton, and then there's Newfoundland. Are they, there is a bit of variety there, or maybe those are distinct constituencies that will be challenging for the regional chief to draw together. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, you know, um, the, the tribal organizations have different issues in each of their regions. And I, I think it's important 
um, to not think of this and the position of regional chief is having a power. Oh, we have someone from Unimagia, we have someone from mainland, or we have somebody from Newfoundland, so our rights are going to be, you know, um, elevated or we'll have good representation or anything like that. We, we shouldn't look at it that way. We should look at the traditional districts. And because we are all within the Mi'kmaq um, nation, and, and that's, we are the most probably unique province. In Nova Scotia, we can do things with one nation because we have 13 chiefs. No other regions across the country, you know, look at BC. There's so many opposing nations or, or just so many nations overlapping, not necessarily opposing. Um, so we're very unique that we can do that. But I think the challenge for regional chiefs should be to, to start looking at, um, the traditional districts and giving them uh, life and body and recognition. So it's not about one tribal organization or another tribal organization or provincial boundaries, municipal boundaries. But look at our traditional districts and start um, relating with each other as traditional districts. Well, we have our our districts, and they're most often um, around ecosystems. The Bay of Fundy, the you know the different ecosystems, um, and so we're we're already grounded together because we shared those ecosystems. We shared what's happening with them. We shared the the abundance of, of food and hunting, and and our conservation preservation has always been part of our world, not just world view, but actions, behaviors. Um, from time immemorial, we take care of you know what we're using. So it's just a natural evolution for us to move towards that and and be more respectful around nation-based and districts versus you know we need to leave the um, leave the tribal organizations or you know this one versus that one that's not helping anybody and if you use one group against another for political um, powers then you're not uniting the Mi'kmaq nation you're you're tearing it apart. So I think that's a challenge um, for everybody now in trying to decolonize and build, you know, nationhoods within systems of governance and divisions of powers and fundings. You know, we're always competing for funding and power. And, you know, I think if we start concentrating on nation building, then those things uh, become less relevant. Now, how do you think the hiring uh, process will go down? We have the formal call for candidates, and um, people will submit their uh, their applications. Um, and there is, uh, I see, uh, a hire, mention of a hiring committee. Um, but inevitably, do you think it'll be the person, the successful person, will have to lobby, reach out? Um, uh, do politics in in the traditional way of uh, yeah. that's the danger of the way we used to do things. It was like you know just politic and and get a group of chiefs to support you. It doesn't matter what the others say. If you get enough, then you're done your job. Um, I, I like that they're they're looking for qualified candidates. I would have even asked for post secondary. Um, because this regional chief will be doing national and international work, dealing with laws, dealing with other governments, heads of states. Um, and, you know, so I, I would have looked for probably a little more. I would say post-secondary is considered an asset and, and rank it higher. Um, 
but the fact that they're going to present qualified candidates who have to have a child registry check, criminal check, um, and submit why they would be a good candidate here, I think that's a first step for not just um, a regional chief, but, you know, some of our communities and chiefs should set minimal standards uh, for governance only because everybody we're going to deal with, we may not need a law degree, but everybody you deal with at the national, international level, they have a, a group of lawyers behind them to advise them. So if we're there on your own um, and you're dealing with governments and, you know, they they all have legal, they have strategists, they have public media communications, they have um, all kinds of support. So the more supports we can bring and the more education experience we can put forth with, you know, a regional chief, the stronger um, their their work will be. You know, we hope to get more from it. Um, but there's work both at the, the Mi'kmaq level, the community level, and the regional level. So it would be nice if the chiefs, even if the communities aren't aware of, you know, who gets to finally do the final ratification. So they come up with three good candidates. It goes to the chiefs, and they're like, well, we don't like this one, or there's a potential there, whatever, or yes, this is good for all of us. We can all agree. Um it would be nice if that process and all those steps up to that point are, are made public and aware. So if there's a short list, you know, um, it would be nice to have the Mi'kmaq people have a role to play in it. But we can't mistake in a role in picking a regional chief to be the same as self-governance and um, creating him equal powers as a, as a uh, grand chief because he will still be advocating for um, issues on mandates under the Indian Act and, and legislation and, and stuff. So we, we really don't want to give too much um, power to the regional chief that it's an office of a government, because it's not. He's, he's a tool and an advocate for, he or she, a tool and an advocate for the nation and to support the chiefs in issues. And, and, and you know to flag the things that the chiefs need to be noticed of or, or to be made aware of happening at those levels where they can't be. In terms of uh, gender balance, we note that um, currently there are, I think it's three of 11 uh, people on the AFN National Executive uh, are women, three three women out of uh, 11 total. In terms of, um, of qualifications of the ideal candidate, whether uh, gender would be a consideration in the current circumstances. And also, Cheryl, I, I guess one people wonder if perhaps you might apply because, you know, you know, you know, the work, you have a background in, in the work and um, are you dusting off your resume for the position? <laughs> you snuck that in really good. First, I want to talk about your first uh, comments about gender. When I teach political science for First Nation communities, 90% of the students are Indigenous women, and we don't know why. It's been consistent with other um, professors and, and universities. It may not be 90 and all, but it may be high 80s or 80%. Any way you look at it, the the majority of the um, educated Mi'kmaq citizenry is primarily um, women. 
So, yeah, so we have, we're doing a good process and we're looking for qualified candidates. It makes more sense that we do have some qualified women um, that should be considered. And it shouldn't be because they're women, but they're qualified. Oftentimes, um, a man in a suit or even not even a man in a suit um, will seem more qualified than, than an indigenous woman. And that's in society and, and also within our society, too. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, chiefs, when you say chief, everybody believes that's a male position. Right, because we're using we're, we're using colonial language, and the the federal government, provincial governments, or you know the British, they were looking for the head chief, the head man, when they came to speak to us. So when we think chief, regional chief, everybody has this tendency to think it should be a man. Um, so you know maybe they need to change their language. Right. In regards to me running, um, or or putting my name for it. There has been a lot of people that have been messaging me saying the same thing that you're saying. I, uh, you know, I've just gone through two very, very difficult years, um, dealing with, you know, things that are wrong with politics for women, things that need to be addressed, things that need to be fixed. I've always had a, a higher expectation of the role of our regional chief, and I've always seen the potential of, of what could be done, what should be done. Um, you know, so I certainly have all the skills and qualifications. Whether I would be selected or not, I have no clue. And that, that kind of scares me. That makes you think, um, when you go up against somebody that I had to go up against and raise issues and, and bring things to light. Um, there's never been any benefit for women to be whistleblowers in these political structures and, and actually a lot of backlash. So, you know, those are real in this day and age. You know, those are real considerations for women. If I put my name forth and was selected, you know what message that would send? That, yes, um, women are not going to be blacklisted or or um, demonized for speaking up in this day and age. That would be amazing to see that happen within our society. But as of yet, uh, you know, I'm still waiting to um, to reconcile some of the the loose ends regarding uh, my work in in raising the standards or raising the bar for the regional chief. So that's not an answer, but it's certainly um, it's certainly it's certainly thoughts. It's certainly thoughts. You know. Um, what the thoughts I have uh, if I were to do that. I've never wanted um, that position, but I've always seen the potential, and I certainly want somebody in there representing the Mi'kmaq at those levels uh, that, that I can be confident in. Cheryl Maloney. That's it for the program. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Thanks to our radio partners, Bay of Islands Radio, Voice of Bombay, CHMR, and Miobigag First Nation Radio. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.